Welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the backbeat of the town liar. Ooh. It's Benny Horowitz himself. What's up, hey. dude? Thanks for that quick plug. Uh, you yeah. know what? Sometimes I've been told by family members that I have small eyes. Oh, yeah? Or that, like, they're like, I take pictures with family members. They're like, open your eyes more. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> so is that why? Do you think I look scary? Like, first time you met me? No. Do you think I look scary? No. I so very much say I have beady little eyes, and it makes me look scary. I thought from honest to God from the first time, I was like, oh, like this dude has like the Kevin Smith facial thing down. Like, like, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what dude. to do with that. Okay. No, like, 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 <laughs> like the silent Bob facial like thing going uh, on. How like he can move his face in a lot of different directions. You, you have that gift, my friend. Really? Yeah. I didn't even know. And the only reason that I've like had like confirmed that is because you know I do like the thumbnails for all of this, so I've had to go through a lot of shots of uh, Ben. I was like, my, oh my, my goodness. Face. Oh, oh my goodness gracious! Strange so to here? imagine, strange to imagine, Denny, how often you've examined the oh. contours of my face. <laughs> uh oh! I hope you don't start making little <laughs> dolls out of me and stuff soon. If I, I get would... some weird pains, I'm, I'm blaming you. <laughs> I was wondering how long do we have to do this before I can kind of make it like an AI thing, so that AI knows how much I'm going to hate on LeBron and how much you're going to be like, wait and see with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and stuff like that. Soon, <laughs> soon, next couple of years. Well, thanks for the plug. Yeah. I did have a, a nice little demo come out this week, which is nice. At the same time, that I was working on some other things I'm not allowed to talk about. But uh, yeah, it was cool. It was, so, so the fun thing about that was the uh, singer and guitar player, this band, Jay and Nick, were like, right when I got into the hardcore scene and punk scene locally, they were in bands that were like, the bigger bands in that scene that I used to sweat a band called bound the band called autumn Heath who's playing bass. You know, I met a little later through midtown and census fail, but he's literally from the town I'm from. Mm. And for anybody who claims that central Jersey doesn't exist, <laughs> this band is actually four people from that place. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, you know, I got hit up with songs like, like late, you know, uh, 2020, and just as usual, you know, anything Jay writes is great. And I was like, yeah, I'm happy to get into this. And but everyone's, you know, it's a slow process. Everyone's got more uh, prominent things. So we just picked yeah. at it. And and these guys have been working at it while I was gone and surprisingly finished it in, in a very nice fashion. So it's out. It's out there on Bandcamp and stuff. And, you know, if you like music, you check it out. I love the fact that you put out a record uh, or a, a song rather called uh, fantasy parade the day after our fantasy oh, basketball yeah. season. What an all time flex. Like if I was in a band, anything like that, anytime I started a fantasy season or stuff like that, there'd always be some sort of trash talk song. Hey, Danny, you have some insight that other people don't have. How, how am I as a commish? Oh my <laughs> goodness. Let me tell you about this man as a, a, a commissioner. I love it because you reward the details. I am not even trying for points and threes in this league right now. It's all about the blocks, steals, assist to turnover, like all of that stuff. I good, am in good. the weeds. I'm like, there are a lot of guys who could score more points, but I'm like, I need to win the steals and I, I need to win the blocks. So I'm going to go for like uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope yes. when I could have Cole Anthony. High minute, high efficiency <laughs> players. Is where we're rewarded in fantasy. None of those I take fourth quarter off yeah. type of guys in this league. No. Play to the bitter end. That's why I drafted Mikhail Bridges. He's going to have to play about 57 <laughs> minutes a game for that team. <laughs> oh, I love All it. All right. Whoa. I can hear you. Let's do the thing, Danny. Let's do the damn thing as this morning has been all sorts of chaos. But that's why we're here. That's why we love it. And you know what segment, Benny? is always chaos. Always. I think I do. I think I do. It's this day in music history. Well, that worked. What do you got? So, on this day in 2011, the FBI, I don't know if you've heard of them, hmm. American Federal Bureau of <laughs> Investigations, uh, lists juggalos, Fans of Insane Clown Posse as a loosely organized hybrid gang. Wow. 
National Gang Threat Assessment. And in quotes from the FBI, the Juggalos, a loosely organized hybrid gang, are rapidly expanding into many U.S. communities. Although recognized as a gang in only four states, many Juggalo subsets exhibit gang-like behavior and engage in criminal activity and violence. Most crimes committed by Juggalos are sporadic, disorganized, individualistic, and often involve simple assault, personal drug use and possession, blah, blah, blah. However, open source reporting reports a small number of juggalos are forming more organized subsets and engaging in more gang-like criminal activities such as felony assaults, thefts, robberies, drug sales. Their websites are popular, blah, blah, blah. That's crazy, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I never knew about any of this. I don't know even how often I see like a juggalo in the wild. Um, I mean, I do live in New Jersey. I guess the population's probably thinner around here, more of a uh, endangered species. <laughs> yeah. Like. But here's what this made me think, right? Like, this is literally a band who paints their faces like clowns. Their fans started painting their faces like clowns. Every once in a while, it seems like one of these people with clown faces commits an illegal activity you know as if you open the, the the branch to your fandom large enough it's like i'm sure some gaslight anthem fans have committed simple felony assault in the last 10 years you know maybe they just didn't have clown makeup on uh so you know that's where this made me think like how easy is it for the fbi and the government to just brand anybody they want as a gang or subsetting an illegal activity and this can go back to you know cointel pro and what they were doing in the 60s against the the black panthers or any counter-revolutionary organization you know i'm not to say that the juggalos should be viewed in the same scope <laughs> yeah. as the black panther party <laughs> but the fbi seems as if you know you know, they could do this at will. I also, you know, when uh, the, you know, the assault on the Capitol happens, I'm glad when these, you know, small organizations uh, of white power people and stuff are considered gang. So I don't know. I don't know if you get to pick and choose who, who you like to be called a gang, but it's, it's kind of a fascinating wormhole here. And I feel like if me, you, and like four other people just gave ourselves a name and started doing anything, we could get on this list pretty easy, you know? And all we, they would have to do... I might have just put us on it. And all they would have to do is subscribe to the YouTube channel. Who would have thought? It. And you'd be on, on, on the FBI Welcome page. Welcome on. Subscribe. <laughs> yeah. All right, Benny. Well, I'm going to... Uh, I don't know why this morning when I was looking for the story, I was feeling I was feeling some sort of way. So on this day in 2016, Leonard Cohen released his last oh. album, You Want a Darker, 17 days before his death. Um, he had poor health during the entire uh, recording of the album. Uh, his son Adam handled the sessions and integrated the, the tracks and stuff like that. Um, it was awarded a Grammy, a posthumous Grammy in 2018 for best uh, rock performance, and I kind of wonder, uh, you know, you, you always want to do the thing, I think, that you love doing in life as long as you can possibly do it. Is this the way you'd want to go out uh, 17 days before whatever happens that you're still working on the music? Well, I'm not going to say it one way or the other. Like, in this case, yes, because it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm actually glad you brought this up because this was like my B- this day in music history, and I was like, nah, I'm not going to do dead shit this easy, you know, this <laughs> yeah. quick. But thank you for going dark this morning. Of I course. appreciate it. You want it darker. I discovered this record, you know, I'm always a big fan of Leonard Cohen. I discovered this record shortly after he passed, and I find it uh, not only, like, you know, a, a haunting in a way, because as usual in any Leonard Cohen song, he's like he's dropping knowledge yeah. and and wisdom and has a way to frame certain things that I personally have always found rather comforting. Uh, and I've connected with the person. So in that way, as a fan, I was so grateful to kind of have like the last words, the last ideas, the last poetry from from this person who I appreciate so much. And it was done in such a beautiful way. Not only did his son 
produce it. I mean, his son was, you know, in the house setting it up while he couldn't get up. Uh, you know, his son played all the classical guitar in the record. He's a musician himself. So it's actually a real like father son moment too in this in this record. And it's such a beautiful piece. I'm glad you brought it up because it's it's one of my uh, favorite Leonard Cohen albums. And the song You Want It Darker in particular is like just got that classic yeah. 80s kind of Cohen feel. And uh, yeah, it's it's brilliant and a, and a beautiful moment. So, um, you know, I don't know if my 82 year old drum parts would translate exactly the same, you know, so yeah. not all artists are built the same. Benny, right. you know? No, no, I know you're not all. So maybe some things Leonard Cohen should do. I shouldn't. No, I mean, and and I think that's a good rule to live by for anybody. Some things that Leonard Cohen did in life, you probably shouldn't. Yeah, I'm not going to drop my first solo record at 82. <laughs> Bad move. Bad move. Oh, man. Well, Benny, we got to get to the news of the day. The big news of, of the day. Oh, man, I'm I'm hooked already. The, the storyline that is all over the Twitter sphere, all over Swiftian. wherever you look. It's with a Swiftian pace. That's right. It's uh, straight out of Reading, Pennsylvania. That's right. Uh, Taylor Swift has released her 10th studio album called Midnight's. So it is... There are our collaborations with Lana Del Rey on the thing. And the kicker for us, really, because anytime we can make this about ourselves and about New Jersey, we like to. Jack, Jack Antonoff, the big producer, which, by the way, I saw a little Twitter interaction. I was like, oh, someone's got an EP coming out. Mm. Wait, mm. who? What? Okay. The theme of the album is about her 13 sleepless nights. And... Uh, and these, which is a pretty solid theme. And Benny, as somebody who knows a little bit about theming and stuff like that, I kind of want to know the intricacies of, you know, you have the concept for the songs, but how do you package it? How do you package it, kid? You know, in like the classic Hollywood style, how do you package it together so that it all works nicely? Well, I mean, that's where I think a lot of the, I guess the talent of artists can come in is the intuition to know what's great and what direction to go in. And that's not only like musically, lyrically, but aesthetically, you know, just something that feels good to you at the time and isn't trying to fit like, you know, the wrong shaped, um, you know, a square into a circle hole. It's, it's, and that's where uh, a lot of artists have great intuition about what, what you need at the time, what people are feeling, what your honest expression is. So I find that that usually happens in a songwriting process for an album with one song, you know, and it's usually one idea or one song that gets completed where you're like, okay, like this is the avenue. This is the real avenue. And then it starts to kind of shape up and you can sign of see certain things, but sometimes it even pops the other way. I mean, sometimes maybe it's a visual uh, that starts the entire process or starts the theme uh, musically and the visual is there the entire time. And I think uh, really great artists have scope over all of it. And it's when you're putting out a record, you're not handing like a company the music and telling them to take care of art, telling them to take care of production. You have to have like your hands over all of it to make sure it's, you know, artistically the thing you want to see. So uh, I think, she obviously has a good sense of that and showed it again. I didn't listen to the whole album, but I watched this video for Antihero. Mm. I found it like, like raw and cool and honest and like um, lyrically pointed towards a problem that like a ton of people have and made in a relatable way. She's really good. Yeah. Even in one line narcissism and altruism are in the same line. She's taking kids to the damn dictionary. <laughs> Thank you, Taylor Swift. Like, but I appreciate it. Um, you know, it, and it's something that immediately connected with me because as someone who's fought like depression, and anxiety and things like that, like my whole life, when I became a musician, you know, early on, you start to have this idea that like, the battle you're on and the climb you're on is, is the, the cause for all your problems, you know? And I remember vividly like the, not the day, but just the time in my life when I started looking around and going like, okay, I have exactly everything I've always wanted. 
everything I imagined, you know, like this is, I wanted this, I wanted this, I wanted this. It's right here. Why am I still miserable? And maybe worse than I was before. And and it's strange because it's like, you used to have this reason to be miserable, this very pointed reason. You're like, I don't have what I want. And then you get what you want and you're still miserable. And then you feel bad for being miserable because you're like, I actually have what I want. This is bullshit. Like I should be happy, you know? And then you almost feel guilty for not being happy. And then it takes another step in development to start working through that shit. So I think, I, I personally empathize with what she's talking about in this song and that battle with yourself as you go through things like that. And, and I appreciate it. And the middle of the video is funny as fuck, you know, yeah. her is an old cat lady and, you know, <laughs> over the corpse. Like I love that shit. She still has a sense of humor about it. She's still cool. I'm pro Taylor Swift. Oh, you, you've always got to be pro Taylor Swift. Like, I don't think that's as much of a choice there. But it's super interesting. I mean, with you, are you no, no, go no, anti, no. Right? Listen, I loved her in Amsterdam. I know not a lot of people saw that movie, but she was great. For the scenes that she was in that movie, she was great. Her songs connect. Uh, so, yeah, but it's kind of interesting. In that 28 to 33 range where she has been these past few years, it's it's when you get to that thing that, that you were talking about where it's like, okay, like I've been on this journey to try to establish some sort of thing. Um, that I thought was gonna be like the, you know, like the purpose in life, the thing that makes you happy. But then it's not always what you think it's gonna be when you get there. And then the ground can also shift un- under your feet. So it's a it's a, a lot going on there. It's a uh, a lot going on in, in a pop sphere for her. So shout out to her. Yeah, it's like it's like in baseball. Your prime power years are 28 to 32. Always, That's right. you know, <laughs> that's when you get it all together. When you figure out the mental and the physical at the same time. I think that's the trick. Yeah. So shout out to her. Midnight's great album. First, go listen to Town Liar and then go listen to Midnight's because Benny needs more streams than Taylor Swift. So no, it's OK. It's OK. <laughs> All right, next headline today. Wow, we're just kind of hitting the uh, the tune-up sweet spot, if you will. Netflix has officially boarded the next Safdie Brothers movie. That's right, the brothers Josh and Benny back at it with who other than Adam Sandler. Um, and it is a movie set, and this logline was, was awesome to me, set in the world of high-end card collecting. Benny, that's way more your world than mine. Um... What is the most dramatic do you think that a, a card collecting movie can possibly be? I mean, here's the issue when you brought this up. Yeah. That that I immediately saw. Which is I'm like, okay, this is uncut gems. But with baseball with a cards. fucking card instead of a diamond. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I appreciate those movies, but I got that kind of uh guy Richie cut the movie like you're being punched in the face thing. I got that out of the way in like the early 2000s for myself, you know? Uh, I do find the way those movies are done a little annoying. And I'm already a little annoyed at the fact that like, oh, let's have another high price thing to make a high scaled attack on. And Adam Sandler is going to be this guy trying to get through it. And blah, 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 you know, yeah. I hated the end of that other fucking movie. I won't blow it for right. anyone, but ugh. <laughs> come on. I'm yeah. trying to be entertained here. By a diamond heist movie. I don't need that shit. <laughs> um, so so I'm immediately, you know me, pro Sandler. Yeah. Card collector. All the things you would think this is in my wheelhouse. Yeah. I'm immediately a little cringy about the whole thing. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, the Safety brothers make some interesting choices. Um, but I'm, I'm here for this only because... I don't think we've seen a movie like this. Hey, it could be like who would have thought that uh, you know, like a movie like poker movies, like like Rounders or like Cincinnati Kid or like billiards movies and stuff like that, like uh, The Color of Money. Who would have thought that initially that those would have been interesting concepts? There gonna be drama in everyday life. Heck, I could go downstairs and like World War Three could break out in my mind. So it all the kind of depends on artistic expressions. Uh, I trust these safety guys. Uh, they have great taste. The movies that they've chosen to act in have been great. And, uh, you know, I, I know Sandler's current run of movies hasn't been for everybody, but boy, has this been for me. Uncut gems, a uh, hustle, great film. Uh, love and then this, love Oh, just awesome. Maybe we'll you get, know to what, see you know what the safety brothers need to do a basketball. This movie. is the time in their career when they need to like make their acoustic record. Oh, Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I'm hoping to see. Like, I, I, I think they need to turn it down, 
get some less scenes. Let Sandler act a little. Slow it down. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, we need their acoustic album. A a movie that's not so action packed. You know what I've been really into lately? Movies that are set in like one room and it's just like all dialogue. And if if those can grip you. Oh, man, I've really been eating up those lately anyway. That's it. That's it. Like, you could see it as a play. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Sandler on Broadway. Love it. Well, I'm there for that. Speak. Let's head a little north of Broadway, shall we? Benny, the Yanks are in trouble. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no other way to, to split this up. Uh, the Houston Astros are headed to New York with a 2-0 ALCS series lead over the Yankees after nar- narrowly winning game two. Okay. Uh, they won that game 3-2. Man, sometimes I type these things and in my mind, like, oh, this is great. Then it turns out to be a massive tongue twister, and I kind of hate myself. All right. Um, Alec Bregman's three-run homer was the difference in this one. Uh, Valdez went seven innings, allowed two earned runs. So uh, absolutely incredible uh, from him. Uh, you know, the Yankees have been in these games, but, like, never enough where you think that, like, they're seriously threatening Houston. Um, but do you think, Benny, that the Yankees are in trouble going back to the Bronx? Well, I mean, of course, they're down 2-0. And, and I believe in game one, they struck out 17 times. Uh, last night, even the two runs they got were, you know, for the most part, as a result of a bad throwing error by Valdez and then kind of some dinky outs to get the runners home. Like, it wasn't anything too too firm. So, I mean, listen, like, it's it's concerning. The Astros are a great team. They're up 2-0. But I'm also not a nut job. I've watched a lot of baseball, and 2-0 doesn't mean it's over. Um, and you're only, you know, a couple nights away from this being 2-2 and Yankee Stadium being electric and, and the whole thing, you know, tipping on its ears. So I'm not about, especially when you have a guy you pay, you know, almost $300 million to, is supposed to go into yeah. game three, I would assume, <laughs> yeah. especially in this case, you know. Uh, it's definitely going to take, though, Yankees are going to have to beat Justin Verlander once. Yeah. You know, it's going to take, like, one or two great moments, big moments, you know, Yankee moments for this to actually, like, go. And the narrative is right there, man. I mean, if the Yankees can stop the cheating team from doing it again, you know, like this is like the whole thing that people want. People want the Yankees to win for the first fucking time, <laughs> like ever. Yeah. You know, this is like this is so set up for Aaron Judge to be the hero and, you know, the, the uh, you know, America to go full on Yankees again, you know. So so I'm not not calling it over, but I got to say, I mean, just the quality of the at bats and the way the teams are carrying themselves, the Astros seem to be just a better all-around team i mean end to end you know you can put aaron judge right up there with jordan alvarez he's a great fucking hitter i'm not saying alvarez is as good but he's a comparable middle of the order what the fuck are you gonna do with this guy kind of guy and then after that when you're going to you know your bregmans and tuckers and the depth of this lineup you know, there's just higher end depth behind their behind their beast. And, you know, then they have this this great relief pitching. It's a solid team. But the Yankees won a lot of games this year. There's a lot of players uh, on this lineup who can just, you know, jack it out of nowhere and, and get yourself a lot of runs. So I'm not calling it over. But like uh, what I'm saying is that the Yankees are going to have to do some some all time Yankee shit. To, to make this go their way. Well, I, I don't think that they'll have to do all-time Yankee shit because some of these judge home homers, like the one like last night, I, I think it was, that like went to, went to the warning track. That one in Yankee Stadium is out of the park. So I, I think that there's a little bit of a, a run discrepancy there when you take the Yanks out of that stadium. That will be a little bit of home cooking for them. Um, but yeah, exactly what you like. They gotta slay the dragon. Every fairy tale has someone slay the dragon, and in this case, for the Yankees, the the, the dragon's Verlander. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, you're still looking. Besides for Correa, you know, it's still this this lineup of guys that were part of that initial thing, and, and yeah. people want it. They want the blood. So Yankees have a chance here, but it's it's gonna be tough. But never deny. I mean, I've been to a lot of these games. Fucking Yankee Stadium. In in October for playoff baseball is something yeah. else, and it can can shake a lot of teams. It's going to be cold. Uh, it's going to be a different kind of game that uh, you know maybe the Yankees are more well suited for. So we'll see. 
If we had to make predictions right now, do you have them going through? Do I have the Yankees going through? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm still sticking there with it. There we go. Okay. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, do you want to switch over to the NLCS please, now? Please, please. Take me the other side. All right. A little uh, San Diego, Philadelphia. Boy, I was looking at this the oh, other I'm sorry, Denny. It's San Diego. Oh, San Diego. Yes. Regardless of how you pronounce it, if you want to be Ron Burgundy, that flight must be a killer. I don't think American goes direct to San Diego out of Philadelphia. So getting back and forth for these fans is tough. Uh, for the fans. Oh, okay. I thought I thought you. I'm not going for the guys. media. Yeah. What? This fucking. <laughs> it's like trust me, trust me. Bryce Harper's not having a layover oh, in. I'm Houston. not worried about <laughs> trying to eat Annie Ann's out of what's that IDH or whatever. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ranger Suarez is like, <laughs> oh, I can't start tonight. I had a bad Cinnabon at Reno Airport. No, it's not happening. Oh, I love it. I love it. But that series is tied up at 1-1. Um, you know, they had uh, uh, Juan Soto and, and, and Josh Hader. They got most of the attention when they came over midseason, but it's been Brandon Drury and Josh Bell uh, that have really been the difference in this series, uh, especially with Tatis being out. Um, it's kind of interesting how they've been able to protect uh, uh, Soto and, and Machado in the middle of, of the lineup here. So, um, they got the bats going in game two. Um, early on, this looked like, wow, Philadelphia may smoke them. Uh, but tied up 1-1 going back to, I believe it's still Citizens Bank Park. So, um, who has the edge here for you, Benny? I like, uh, a whale's vagina. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I had to, I had to, I had to. It's the greatest city in the world. Scholars maintain the translation's been lost hundreds of years ago. Um, so I actually, I actually do like San Diego. I yeah. think, um, you know, those those moves they made are like, oh, this is kind of reminiscent to me of like the 2000 Marlins. Mm. You know, that like pretty good team who just had the owner who just went balls in before the season ended, loaded the roster with the types of big time players you need, like. Josh Hader, sure, he had a bad end of the regular season or something. He's been the most dominant closer in baseball for years. And now he's got this time to shine on a big stage, and he's eating it up. Yeah. Um, but the biggest difference to me here with the starting pitching is, is what's going to happen tonight. You have Ranger Suarez going against Joe Musgrove. Mm-hmm. The, the Padres' starting rotation is three deep, and the Phillies is two. Yeah. And when it comes down to a series like this, that could be the difference maker. When the Padres keep throwing uh darvish and snell and musgrove uh you know every third day at this team it's tough to get through and the phillies have that one game a series where you can poke through the the pitching a little better after nola and wheeler and then i just look through the lineup and shit man even without tatis there's just so many guys who can hurt you uh on any given night in a bunch of different ways so i think san diego's got like a weird weird kind of uh mojo to him right now i just don't see it stopping especially after that last series yeah the musgrove postseason stats like he really has cranked it up the post uh, in in the postseason 13 even with those waxy years (laughs) he was the one that they checked uh to see if he had any substance on his hand honestly those ears looked (laughs) fucked up i didn't blame the umps for that one his ears they looked red and waxy i think you know, a guy just might get some irritation <laughs> while he pitches, but it did look weird. Uh, but right now for game three, uh, minus 110. So for both the Padres and Phillies, so virtual pick them there. But for us, Benny, going the rest of the series, Padres, Phillies, who you taking? Yeah, I, I'm sticking with the fathers. Yeah, I got it. Got it. I would love to see Yankees, Padres, World Series. But somehow I think we're going to get Houston, Houston, uh, Houston, San Diego. Yeah. Who cares about that? <laughs> All right. Well, people cared about this one, Benny. This story that we're about to get into. Kawhi Leonard returned for the Los Angeles Clippers, came off the bench in the win against the Lakers, dropped 14 points, including a uh, 21-footer with 52 seconds to go to help ice the victory at Crypto.com Arena. Uh, in this one, he asked to come off the bench for uh, the first time, I think, since his sophomore season. So, uh that's pretty cool to see from Kawhi, even though he's no stranger to asking for rest and to try to work with his body to the best of its ability. Uh, but Kawhi, pretty good. Uh, I think he went for 14 and 7. Um, what, at this point, are your expectations for Kawhi Leonard? 
All right. So first off, yeah, I am. I, I can't be the first one to say this, but this Kawhi Leonard thing wasn't just a fuck you to Russell Westbrook. No, Ooh, okay. they're in the same town. They're from the same place. These guys, they might know each other. They might have a weird thing. Yep. Clippers are going to be a much better team. Westbrook goes 0 for 11. Kawhi Leonard comes off the bench, has a nice game, and the Clippers win. I mean, come on. If this isn't an A-B where Kawhi is just showing, hey, I'm a winner. This is how you win. I'm going to be the guy with the great legacy, and you are just fucking up. If this isn't obvious to anyone else, call me crazy. Why would Kawhi punch down? No, this isn't punching oh. down. This is like this is like we're in the same city. Yeah. We know we're real good this year. And this is like the class of this city. We're showing you how it's done, how we're doing it, all the problems you are going to have, we don't have. I think it's a statement by Kawhi, and I think it's the only game he's going to come off the bench. See, I'm not so sure about that. And I would agree with you. You know I love the gosh. You know I love the drama. You know I love all of that. But, man, Kawhi is... He doesn't care about anybody but protecting his body and making sure he's getting the most out of it. I don't think he cares about Russell Westbrook. This isn't like this is like a Patrick Beverly situation. No, don't get played by the quiet guys. Just because he doesn't talk about it. You don't think he watches? He's getting he sees. You don't think he knows the landscape he's in? Come on, he knows. The landscape. He, knows. he Russell Westbrook is not getting looks for like white men can't jump the reboot. Like Kawhi has won Los Angeles. Like it wasn't even a debate. Uh, the L.A. Times no, and like he, Bill Plaschke are yet. trying no. to run Russell Westbrook, a guy who grew up there out of town. He's Kawhi like, Leonard has won San Antonio. He's won Toronto. He has not won shit in Los Angeles. He's barely played. This is his season. He's setting it up. And watch, watch. No, so, Thirty games in, there's going to be a narrow when the Lakers are fucking tanking, and we're talking about. LeBron going to Cleveland next year and them going for Victor Webinyana. <laughs> uh well they can't they, can't they don't have Pelicans. any fucking picks. Exactly. <laughs> so when we're talking about that and the Clippers are like, you know, 20 games above 500 and cruising, and you know, all of a sudden Kawhi's taking a night off and Robert Covington's putting 25 points up and they're just loving life. People are gonna talk about this shit. Call it now. Save this video. No, Ben Stradamus has been very good. Man, I think you're missing the boat. Because Kawhi punched a punch. Le LeBron James, that one, I get 100%. Russell Westbrook is so beneath him. Yeah, but <laughs> this is like this is like kicking LeBron James in the shin. It hurts him. It doesn't uh. knock him out, but it still hurts him. <laughs> Next week, you're going to tell me that Lonnie Walker has beef with, I don't know, Paul George. and I, like... <laughs> You're telling me like that, like LeBron doesn't wish that Russell Westbrook just walked in and was like, all right, all right, guys, guys, I get it. I get it. I'm not as good as I used to be. I'm going to adjust. I'm going to try to play this way and this way. Whatever you guys need. Whatever you guys need. 15 minutes a night, I'm here for it. Mm. I don't care. That's what they all want to hear. Yeah. And that's what they're never going to hear. Right. So, like, I don't know. If you think this doesn't hurt LeBron, it does. No, that wasn't even the conversation. The conversation was about Kawhi Leonard. This 100% impacts LeBron, uh, the Russell Westbrook thing has been crazy. I mean, how do you, how, how do you go 0 for 11? Granted, he picked up his, his typical stat line that, that will uh, help a lot of fantasy basketball people out there that are going for the statistics. But for the Lakers, I mean, listen, I don't think Lonnie Walker is going to get you 22 every single game. Uh, that was definitely an anomaly. But, man, to... For Russell Westbrook, the, the the effort, the attitude, he's being booed by the home crowd. Uh, you got Bill Plasky that's going at him in the LA Times and stuff like that. So it's yeah. bad. And let me ask you this question. I heard it on another podcast, so I'm not going to make it up as it's mine. Right. But go through the league and take the third best player on any other team or most other teams yeah. and say it wouldn't be the best third player on the Lakers. Go through that exercise, and you're about 28 out of 32. Yeah. The Lakers are not good right. past those At two all. guys, you know? And and those two guys have their own question marks. The West is so wide open. Man, this this might get it might get ugly fast. And they just extended Rob Palenka to 2026, okay. the guy that got you in this position. Yes. So here's another, here's another addition to our conversation here to go past Westbrook. Yeah. Was 
Palenka getting re-signed, an internal effort to get LeBron James out of there after this year. Why would that be an internal effort? Because here's the idea, right? Okay, you yeah. don't trade Westbrook. You add, literally, within two days, they added, uh, what, Lonnie Walker and Thomas Bryan, Damian Jones, and Juan Toscano-Anderson. Let's load up on decent B players or whatever, you know, C players to, to that. Let's go into the season with Westbrook. Let's sign Patrick Beverly. Let's sign Dennis Schroeder and still start the season with Russell Westbrook. Like, like nothing seems like a good idea, right? Mm-hmm. From the outside, but he keeps just doing it and got a contract extension by doing it. Does this not seem like a little like collusion with him and Jeannie Buss to be like, hey, let's get this fucking, let's get ourselves out of this situation as quickly as possible. We're going to bomb this fucking season. You give me my extension so I'm straight. Hopefully, like, you know, LeBron leaves, we get some flexibility, and we can do something else. I think the thing that, that we forget with Rob Blink is that he was Kobe's agent, and, and, and I don't think we talk enough about how that kind of cast a shadow. Like, that, like, essentially, it was like the man's, like, one of his, like, last wishes on, on Earth was like, hey, my former agent would be a good GM, and now uh, he goes out, he partners with Clutch, uh, they, they give up everything, they get Anthony Davis, they get LeBron, and so now you're, you're in this tough position where... Uh, you have Clutch running the Lakers. You made this promise to Kobe, and it's like Jeannie Buss is such a sweet lady. She's probably one of the nicer governors in the entire league. People love her. She's like um, all of that stuff. And to get to this point where you're like you, you, with the Lakers, you're always managing egos. You know, they had to manage Magic Johnson for a long time. It took he overstayed his welcome. Now you got Rob Palinka. Um, they could be tanking. They could be angling up uh, to trade LeBron for like a whole bunch of assets. But I think it has more to do with the Kobe thing. Eh, I don't Dude, know, man. Like, I'm telling you, like, they just put out a whole documentary. I know, but listen, it's like if there's anything these leagues aren't like, they're not moral. They're not sensitive. You know what I mean? People don't make these decisions based on the way their hearts and their emotions are feeling. I really don't think so. I think I think these people we're talking about don't even think like you and me. They wouldn't be in the positions they were if they did. They can't. Business is bottom line shit. It's got nothing to do with any of that. They're only trying to protect their ledgers and the people who invest in those ledgers. So I, even though that's a nice sentiment, and I wish that people thought that way, I don't believe that uh, conglomerates like the Los Angeles Lakers are operating their business that way. See, if 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 I were to look at any of the other owners, like these like tech guys, like the guys up in Golden State, or like Mark Cuban or uh, Mickey Arison down in, in in Miami, I would look at it that way. But you got to remember, like it's still a family business there. There there aren't like the guy from Fanatics partnering with Jeff Bezos, partnering with sixteen billionaires to own this team. It's still within the family. So. For as big as you as you think the Lakers are, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, there's way more internal stuff that happens there than with probably any other team outside of the Knicks. I hope you're right. <laughs> you know, for the sake of humanity, I hope you're right. You can see how skeptical I am about the shred of decency at the top of corporate management. But maybe you're right. Uh, I hope you are. The corporate management. Steve Ballmer, 100%. No facts, no feelings, just like going straight straight for the money and, and stuff like that. But um, So you don't think that the Lakers can, can salvage this particular season? I don't. Yeah. I don't. I really don't. I mean, that's where, you know, the model of like two really, really great players – succeeding with like really good pieces around them has existed and it can exist, but it demands that those two players are really great, you know, like, like top 20, each of them. And then it demands really good health and it demands a cast of, you know, functional rotational players who know exactly what they're doing and exactly what their roles are. I don't see any of that. Um, you know, so 
in a in a West that seems loaded with different teams who could tank and different teams who could pop at any moment. I mean, we're we're game one in and tell me some people aren't automatically going like, oh shit, can the Pelicans win this? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. People aren't going, oh shit, can the Mavs win this? Maybe. You know, like they're seeing some different things where you're like, some teams are exciting you off the bat. Some teams are terrifying you off the bat. And the Lakers <laughs> are a lot more terrifying. Before we get to the Sixers, uh, you want to talk about your Nets a little bit. That Pelicans game the other night, I think that was a more of a statement about where the Pelicans are currently versus where the Nets are. We like we know the Nets are going to be a, a work in, in progress here. Um, man, I've really been loving the fit of Royce O'Neal over there. But uh, you're... Are you were you buying into the oh my gosh the sky is falling thing that a lot of people online wanted to say or, or were you just like let's just stay steady with it? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with the sky is falling. Uh, you know, because if you remember in you know maybe an episode about a month ago, I said yeah. this could go either way. This experiment, right? It could either be really great or it can go bad. And if it's going to go bad, it's going to go bad quick. And the thing that was concerning about that game isn't the fact that like. Oh, you know, like they got beat by a very good team who who might end up being way better than a lot of us thought. Like that there's definitely part of that is involved here. But, you know, they're about to play Toronto tonight. Very long, very good interior team. And the way the Nets got beat up on the interior, the way they just couldn't functionally team defend, like, you know, besides for Royce O'Neal, just the lack of effort, you know, if you're already uh having the conversation like oh this team only works if seth curry and joe harris are out there to space the floor and blah 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 like i don't know man yeah it's concerning right off the bat and i'm gonna need to see some kind of commanding performance from ben simmons within the next couple weeks to just show me that we even have the building block to work on here to to make this thing go the way you think it can go i mean we know what Durant can do. We know basically what Kyrie can do, and I like to see him off ball now. But, you know, this whole thing isn't going to really tick unless this guy, you know, operates in a, in a particular way. And, you know, you see these little hints one way or the other, and it's that's the real undetermined thing so far. But, you know, if this were not Ben Simmons and this was a player that you had some implicit trust in their motivations, you'd go, oh, this guy's barely played basketball in two years and had very major back surgery and things like that, and, like, give him a couple weeks. So if it wasn't Ben Simmons, we would be granting that space. Uh, So I'm going to try my best. Now, on the Kyrie Irving front, he's been saying a lot of the right things recently, uh, but the uh, the shooting the other night remains... To, you know, I thought this was just going to be a preseason thing, but the shooting remains to be a, a question mark. Uh, where do you stand with Kyrie Irving right now? Yeah, I'm not worried about Kyrie Irving shooting. You know, like, that's like... I believe in historical precedence. <laughs> that's a, a, a great, you know, elite NBA yeah. shooting. So... No, I, that I don't care about. And I'm sure Kyrie Irving's shooting is just fine. Um, <laughs> the numbers the other night weren't that great, but that's okay. I mean, that's what I'm yeah. saying. That I'll yeah. give to one game because that's Kyrie Irving. Yeah. You know, you tell me Ben Simmons had a bad shooting night, then yeah, yeah. I might be a little more scared. Okay. But when you're talking about historically great shooters, no, I'm not worried about one game. Okay. Um, and yeah, so far he seems like the fucking, you know, the bell of the ball. <laughs> everybody loves him again yeah. you know even nick Friedell loves him and uh you know nick claxton literally in an interview the other day says he is the best teammate i've ever had oh stop it that's crazy and like like when Kyrie is on when he's engaging people love him they do and it's one of the reasons why you know the, the one unvaccinated player who caused so much drama last year kept getting sort of nominal support from the other players was because just people like him for some reason when he's on and he seems like a guy when he's in a room you want to be around you know and and i get that impression we've never been in a room with him so i don't know time 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 will tell but he is he used the perfect all yeah, like I just had my second kid i'm rejuvenate like anytime guys are trying to reset set the narrative 
or may have had a uh, a playoffs that they didn't hope for, they always come back and be like, oh, man, I had, like, a kid. Like, things are great. Yeah. Like, Trey Young did, like, the same thing at media right. day. I'm like, they're all just trying to reset the narrative here. And Kyrie Irving knows that if he's able to put together a certain type of year, that he makes $100 million yeah. next year, you know? That's so $100 million plus. One, one more big paycheck <laughs> for him, you know? And that's a good motivator, too. Yeah. So as of right now, where, where do you have the Nets in the Eastern Conference? Still TBD. Okay. This is still TBD. Yeah. We got a bunch. You know, we got Toronto tonight, but yeah. then two against Indiana this week, back-to-back. Yeah, so that'll get you up. Um, I think that could be like those sort of scrimmage, get some things out of the way. So talk to me next Friday. All right. Sounds good. I've uh, I've got them in like the 6-7 spot as of right now, but uh, we, we shall see. But a team that everybody thought was going to be uh, one or 1A in the Eastern Conference, the Philadelphia 76ers. They have started the season out 0-2, but they've gotten great performances from James Harden, um, but they still haven't yet to pick up any wins this season. Harden posted 31 points, 9 assists, and 8 rebounds uh, in the loss to the Bucs, 90-88. Is this more of an indictment about, you know, um, or is this more of a a statement (laughs) about how good the Bucs and the Celtics are currently, or is this more about where we're seeing the Sixers go this year? Uh, I, I was, I'm still leaning with one. Yeah. Okay. I'm seeing some stuff. You know, of course, it's a little concerning, but you can't overblow it. I mean, sure, Embiid might be playing his way into shape a little bit. <coughs> this new cast of reserves and role players might be figuring it out still. And you played a highly motivated Boston team and a highly motivated Jason Tatum in that first game, who yeah. seems like, you know, that was his statement game, almost like, like, fuck you, Doka. This is my team kind of statement game, which I did appreciate. And then it was a very tight game against the Bucks, who are, you know, uh, I'd say 90% being picked to win the NBA finals by almost everyone. So I'm not overblowing this thing from Philly yet. I think they're 0-2 and, you know, you went against arguably the top two teams in the East to get there. So I'd say it's a yes and yes. You know, you see some concerning early of the season things. Um, but I don't think this is like the end of their season yeah. because, you know, the, the the quality of teams that they lost to and the closeness of the games. I mean, you know, they were games that you're only a couple shots away from going the other way. Um, I do think... <sighs> I mean, what does it take? What record is it going to take for Doc Rivers to be on the hot seat? Oh, man. I I don't think it's about record. I think it's about playoff performance. I don't know if he... Like, you that's think- where I'm like, if Philly is like 10 and 12, and you know, they're still just beating bad teams and kind of, you know, falling apart a little in these bigger games and, you know, always falling short. I don't know, man. I think a head's going to roll. I think a head has to roll, and I think the obvious head would be Doc. So you do you think Doc makes it to Christmas then? Maybe not. Mm, okay. I'm going to say, like, maybe not. But, yeah. again, they're 0-2 against these great teams, and they could be 5-2 and next week, and then yeah. we're out of this conversation. Yeah. It's early. But it... It is early, you know. But his seat, let's just say his seat warmed up a little bit. Okay, his, his seat warmed up his, a little yeah. bit. You put the seat warmer to one. <laughs> you got to like what you saw from Harden. Um, Embiid had like 15 points. Um, and they started, uh, things move so fast in Philly that they're already starting to be like, oh, is there like lack of brotherly love in Philadelphia between? And I think, you know, he gets back on, on the MVP case when they get into some of these games not against the Bucks and the, the, the Celtics and all is forgiven for now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, these are these are first reaction yeah, takes. 100%. And for a team like Philly with the roster that they have, I'm just not willing to overblow it yet. Yeah, so in the East, I'm uh, as of right now, perfectly gut, instant reaction. I got Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Chicago, Cleveland, Toronto, Brooklyn, Atlanta in my one through eight playoff. Uh, in the West, I got Golden State. I got the Clippers. I, I put New Orleans up as high as three. Um, 
Denver, Phoenix. I know that Denver lost to my Utah Jazz. I'm claiming the Jazz this year. I know it's not going to end well for me, but I'm just going to claim him because nobody else is. Um, and then uh, at, at seven, Memphis, eight, Dallas, which so West, I think, stronger than people think, and the East is uh, juggernaut. So great yeah. all around for the league. Yeah, yeah. And I think my early takes, I really, you know, I was wondering – who from the East, which very good teams from the East are going to drop out, Yeah, you know, because one of them or two of them is going to have to in order to make room for everyone. And, you know, immediately I'm a little concerned about Miami. Yeah, me too. And I'm a little concerned about Brooklyn. Yeah. And I could see, you know, these teams that we kind of slept on, your Chicago's, Cleveland's, New York, even though they lost, New York looked like a different kind of team. Yeah. These are teams that could pass these teams if a couple of things break right. So the, Detroit is, is Detroit really basketball. I'm not willing to put them <laughs> up there yet. But then, you know, you're seeing like the automatic thing with Denver. You're like, oh, shit. Is Jamal Murray not healthy? Yeah. And if he's not, that team looks a little thin. Yeah. All of a sudden, uh, Golden State with their lack of problems is looking more like <laughs> yeah. a number one. And, you know, a Minnesota is looking even better. Uh, mm. Did we sleep on Phoenix? Is Memphis worse and going to take a step back? I think there's a lot, a lot of interesting storylines playing out right now. And we will continue to go over this as the season progresses. I love where the league's at, I dude. I, I can't stop watching the Detroit Pistons. It's like oh, it's like a, a disease that I have. Kate Cunningham, give me, give me all the Jaden Ivy. Give oh man. I thought people laughed at me in our draft when I took him with like my like last pick, but I was like, no, like I think that this kid may be like a ten to fifteen oh. a gamer. Danny, hot off the presses. Yes. Natch Joe Harris to make season debut tonight versus the Raptors. Oh. It's all changed. That adds a little something. Nats are about to go on a 18-0 run. Oh, it's a big old beautiful tomorrow. Shining at the end of every day over there in Brooklyn. All right. Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can email us at the tune podcast at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please do that. Uh, get in on the social feeds on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at the tune up HQ. Uh, if you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz on Instagram. I'm at Denny Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Everybody loves everybody. Town Liar, new, new EP out now. Go grab it. The show has ended. Go in peace. You've been listening to the tune up. <laughs>